Hello, and welcome to this very special holiday mini-sode of Pulp from Beyond the Veil. My name is Cody Sullivan, and thank you for being with us. This short episode will serve to warm your hearth this holiday season, while we continue to work on the second season of Pulp. This episode includes a story from last year's holiday episode, as well as a brand new tale concocted by our resident Krampus himself, Gustav Grift. So gather up your woolen blankets, grab a cup of cocoa, and hunker down to listen to these tinseled tales of terror. This is Pulp. Now let's begin. We begin with a tale from yesteryear. The holidays can be so burdensome on one's mental health, forced between familiar familial activities and feelings of financial instability can be a cause for much anxiety. So it's no wonder that Dr. Donald Fisk should have a client reach out to him with urgency before the new year. Let's peel back the curtain on this psycho-evaluation to try and understand the mystery of what happened to his client, Jason on a snowy Christmas Eve where more than reindeer fly overhead, and when gifts take on new and sinister meanings. This story is called Christmas on Mars. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it does. So, what can you remember about that night? Were you near the lake before you woke up? Dr. Donald Fisk was ready to go home. It was almost 4.30, and his wife and son would be expecting him home at the usual time of just before 6. If it hadn't been for an urgent phone call an hour ago from his client, Jason, then he'd be home in time to go shopping for the New Year's party they were planning on hosting. However, knowing full well that Jason, a professor at the local community college, was a reasonable, rational man, the urgency of the call carried with it an added air of intrigue. The minute Dr. Fisk saw Jason, whose sunken eyes seemed to scream for want of sleep, He knew slipping this abridged session in before the new year was the only thing to do. No. No, I've never been out there before. Thank God for those fishermen who found me, or otherwise I probably would have frozen to death. Jason's voice sounded hollow. A shell of his usual baritone, thought the doctor. I just can't figure it out, Doc. It's been gnawing at me the past three nights. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I just keep trying to come up with an explanation as to how I got there and why I feel so out of place. I remember not being able to move. I was staring straight up at the early morning sky. There was snow all around me and I could feel the hard ice beneath my back. Snowflakes were melting on my face and stinging my nose. I heard the fishermen call out to me from the road. I couldn't answer them. 
I was crying, and it was so cold that I remember the tear trails freezing, burning worse than anything. Soon I heard their footfalls approaching. The snow sounded thick and squelched beneath their feet. The minute I felt one of their hands touch me, I was suddenly able to move again. I sat up and cried and clung to the man who touched me. I was so thankful to be alive. In our last session, you told me about your ex-wife. You told me her birthday fell on Christmas Eve. You know I have to ask you about this due to your recovery, but... Did you drink any alcohol on Christmas Eve? Jason bristled at the question. I've been sober for a year now. Okay, I can promise you I didn't touch the stuff. Besides, why do you think Helen's birthday has anything to do with this? Well, assuming drugs or alcohol were not involved, then we need to figure out where this memory lapse is coming from. Sometimes the stress surrounding significant events in loved ones or former loved ones' lives, such as their birthday, can coincide with temporary but extreme mental conditions. Selective amnesia, for example. If the emotional response is too great for the brain to process, sometimes it just doesn't codify memories properly. Or at all. Jason pursed his bluish lips and nodded in agreement. Indeed. Which is why I needed to see you. Remember when my sister was getting married? I was worried about relapsing at the celebration. You offered to perform hypnosis on me to help alleviate the cravings. You remember that? Well, I was doing a bit of research online and I stumbled across a number of people claiming that hypnotic regression therapy helped them to piece together certain areas of lost time. This is particularly true for people who believe they may have been abducted by extraterrestrials. The cool tone Jason employed betrayed the high strangeness of the subject he now brought to light. Do you think you were abducted by these extraterrestrials? The doctor asked, trying not to sound incredulous. Well, it would certainly explain one issue I've been struggling with. When they got me into their truck and they were bringing me home, the fishermen kept talking about how strange I looked out on the ice. See, I was in the middle of the lake, and it had been snowing heavily all night. But when they found me, I, I was lying on top, just barely sunken on ten inches of fresh powder. However, around me, in every direction... There was a distinct lack of footprints in the new snow. It's like I fell from the sky and landed in the middle of the lake. Huh. So you want to find out how you got there? No, I need to, Doctor. Please. Dr. Fisk leaned back in his chair and folded his hands together. He knew now he would be late. He saw the silhouette of his secretary through the brushed glass of the door put on her coat. She was leaving. It must be after five. He stayed silent for a moment, before finally saying, Very well. Before we begin, I need to tell my wife I'll be running late. Holiday business and such. Twenty minutes later, Jason was leaning back on a deep-seated sofa. 
His eyes fluttered irregularly as if he were dreaming. Dr. Fisk was leaning over him, studying his expressions with a notepad in hand. In the background, there was some gentle Christmas piano tinkling away on the doctor's prized vintage stereo. Jason, I want you to tell me exactly where you were on Christmas Eve three nights ago. Where were you, Jason? Jason's features stirred for a moment. That's when he said it. Christmas Eve, I went to Mars. The doctor scribbled quickly on his notepad. How did you get to Mars, Jason? They... Took me there. The giants. The ones who changed me. How did the giants take you? Tell me what you remember. I remember watching TV at home. It was Christmas Eve. I, I was getting tired. It was getting late. And there was this sound. It started coming from the TV. Then my cell phone. It was like a, a regular set of beeps. It made me nauseous and I went outside for some fresh air. When I pulled open the door, there they were. The giants. There were three of them, each bent over so their faces were level with mine. I... I wasn't afraid of them. I went with them. Why did you go with them? They said they had something for me. Something important. A gift, they said. They spoke without speaking, and it sounded like their voices were underwater. One of them opened up his mouth, and it stretched and stretched, and I remember being picked up by it. And then, the four of us appeared somewhere else. Mars. How did you know you were on Mars? They told me. And after they changed me, I went outside with them to look at the Earth. It was so small, it seemed to only be a morning star. I remember the pain of their needles when they went inside my ears. It felt like hot smoke was filling my entire body. I think I had a seizure, but when I finally awoke, I was embraced by the one who picked me up at home. He told me that I would now forever be welcome back to Mars and that they would pick me up again when I completed my initiation. Jason's face went still. His breath, which had been calm the entire trance, suddenly became ragged. 
so naturally I thought of you. What about your initiation made you think of me? The doctor felt his palms slick with sweat. I thought of you because I needed someone I could get alone. Jason's hands shot out like vipers and coiled themselves unnaturally around the doctor's biceps. The doctor cried out in shock and agony as the bones of his arms buckled and cracked. Jason opened his eyes, and to the doctor's horror, he saw the eyeballs were gone, and in their place were a pair of grotesque, segmented bug eyes. Jason's tongue unfurled from his mouth and landed in his lap as he stood up, growing so tall he had to hunch forward to fit beneath the ceiling. The doctor tried to scream, but before he could, a stinger burst out of Jason's chest and struck him in the forehead. He was at once immobilized. It was all he could do to watch Jason's mouth expand, wider and wider, as it enveloped his head, then his shoulders, down his back, his thighs, his feet. In one swift motion, the doctor felt himself being upended and sliding down, down into the dark. His clothes burned away and his skin singed as he quickly began digesting. He died in agony before he could even believe what was happening. His last thread of consciousness ended with silent night. All across the nation, children eagerly await their opportunity to commune with the patron saint of Christmas himself, jolly old Saint Nick. And while their parents may look at the apple-cheeked men in red suits and see their local town manager, or even a drunkard, for children, seeing is believing. But beyond the veil, belief in Santa Claus doesn't end with coming of age, no. You see, beyond the veil, Santa believes in you, and he comes back once a year to let you know how good you've been. Settle in and pass the eggnog and paranoia with this new tale by Gustav Grift, entitled The Spirit of Christmas. I was seven years old when I had my first uncanny encounter with a department store Santa. My family had just moved from Trenton, New Jersey to Austin, Texas because my mom got a new job. The transition was jarring, to say the least. To try and lift my spirits, we went to the local Macy's. Ho, 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 young fella. How about you come and sit on Santa's lap and tell him what you want for Christmas? Um, sure, mister. By this point, I knew that the drunk in the suit wasn't the real Santa Claus. I got a small toy and a candy cane, though, so I sat for the photo op. That's when things got peculiar. So, Andrew, did you receive the virtual pet you requested last year? Uh... I was speechless. Last year at the local Elks Club back in New Jersey, I had asked Santa for a Tamagotchi. 
How did this guy know that, though? Oh, don't look so surprised, Andrew. I am Santa, after all. No. No, you're just some guy in a suit. Oh, 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 oh. sometimes, yes. But if I see fit to be a washed-up drunk in a department store, who can question that? After all, you did get the electronic creature, yes? Yes, you did. You're such a good boy. With that, a light went out behind the man's eyes, which wobbled about before stabilizing. Merry Christmas, kid. Next! I stayed away from Santa for the next two years, making excuses and faking sick. Then, when I was ten, my folks split up. We moved again with my dad, and I could tell he really needed a good Christmas. So I went with my little sister when she sat on the local mall Santa's lap. This man was nothing like the drunk at Macy's. He was tall and had a fastidiously maintained crew cut under the slightly too large wig and fake beard. He was rigid and clearly uncomfortable. Hello, little girl. What would you like from Santa this year? The man looked around blankly, clearly wishing he could be anywhere else. Then his eyes met mine. His demeanor shifted entirely. And his eyes switched from listlessly scanning the room for an escape route to staring intently at me. Ah, Andrew, I've not seen you for some time. What? What do you mean? I I don't think we've met. Oh, we've met all right. Why have you been away so long, Andrew? Well... If it is you, I mean the day drunk from Macy's, I I guess I got kind of freaked out. Andrew, you've no cause to be, as you say, freaked out. After all, you're such a good boy. So rare these days, good boys. Yes, I think you deserve something really special this year. What? I mean, who are you? Andrew, you know that. You've always known in your heart, you good, good boy. I'm Santa Claus. There was a silence while my sister waited for an answer to her childish demands. Suddenly the man snapped too. Excuse me, little girl. I'm afraid I need to step away for a moment. Martha! I'm taking a ten! Jeez, Andy, what the hell was that? I don't know, Kimmy. I don't know. As you can imagine, nothing could get me into a department store or a shopping mall in the run-up to Christmas for the rest of my childhood. When excuses didn't work, I would resort to full-blown angry outbursts. One time when I was 15, I passed a Salvation Army bell ringer outside a shopping center. His eyes went funny. Then he winked and mouthed. Good boy. I kept up my avoidance habit well into adulthood. Of course, it's pretty easy to steer clear of those situations as a single 20-something man. 
That all changed this year, though. Now my own kid is two, and my wife insisted that we take him to see the local Santa. Please, Drew, this is important to me. You know I never got to do this kind of thing. Let me take Nikki to see Santa. She was right, of course, and I couldn't say no. Besides, I had almost convinced myself that the prior surreal Santa encounters had been imagined. We made our way to the municipal building where the town manager had put on a cheap red suit and was giving out cookies. Why, hello there, little one. Come up and sit on Santa's lap, huh? Hey there, Andrew. Glad you could make it. You know, I didn't think you liked Christmas all that much. It's complicated, Tom. Then I saw it. The eyes clouded, and the smile widened and curled up at the edges in a familiar, unsettling grin. Is it though, Andrew? To me, it all seems so simple. You and me, just like always. And then, of course, there's this little one. He put his hand on my young son's head and a shiver of revulsion pulsed down my spine. So few left, really, and me, with two right in front of me, two good boys. That's when I lost it. I pulled my son out of the abomination's arms and thrust him towards my wife. From what, I, from what I've heard, from what you officers have told me, I grabbed Tom by his stupid red coat and threw him to the ground. Yeah, man? Is this good? How about this? Am I a good, good boy? I know it sounds crazy, but I swear that's what happened. God help me, I never meant to hurt Tom like that. Never. Okay, buddy. Listen, the sergeant will be in any minute, and you can tell it all to him. Actually, that's probably him now. Sorry, I took so long. I was doing a Christmas party for my kid. I couldn't believe it. Standing in front of me was Sergeant Miller of the local police force, but he was dressed in a bulging red suit. You can head out, detective. He sat down across the table from me. As soon as his colleague had left the room, his eyes clouded over. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. I really never would have expected this from you. But there's no need for you to languish in a cell. In fact, I'm prepared to walk you right out this door, take off those restraints, and set you free. True. I'll come to you again, and next time our encounter will be more... Personal. But for now, I'd like you to think of it as a gift. I, I don't understand. What the hell do you want from me? Oh, little Andrew, isn't it obvious? I've grown so very tired of all this shuffling around from place to place, person to person. You, though. When you open yourself up to the Christmas spirit, let it fill you entirely. Then, Andrew, then it might just stay with you for a long, long time. 
of course. I can be patient if necessary. Your child, Nicholas, was it? Yes, you'll do as well in time. After all, he's so much like you. Such a good boy. Well, folks, that's all we have for you today. And as Jolly St. Nick draws ever nearer, we hope you've found delight in our festive frights. Christmas on Mars was written by C.A. Sullivan. The Spirit of Christmas was written by Gustav Grift. Voice work and editing was done by Cody Sullivan. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review wherever you're listening. And if it's your first time with us, please check out Season 1 of Pulp from Beyond the Veil, available now. Comments and questions can also be sent to us directly at pulpfrombeyond at gmail.com. If you would like to support our program, perhaps give us a holiday gift, please go to patreon.com slash pulpfrombeyond. Pulp is a labor of love, and every dollar we receive helps pay for domain hosting, advertising, and equipment costs. By supporting us, you are truly part of a grassroots program. Shout out to Patreon supporters Dominic Vanka and Will Oaken for their contributions. Please accept our humble thanks for being part of our show. Finally, we here at Pulp would like to say happy holidays and warm wishes to you and yours. I'm Cody Sullivan, signing off. <laughs>